everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris. And today we're talking all about patient advocacy as it is applied to clinical trial development and recruitment and a whole lot more with my very special guest, Fernanda Copeland. She is the Global Head Patient Advocacy and Engagement at Avro Bio. Fernanda, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Erin. Good, good. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it. So first I want to ask you, as Global Head Patient Advocacy and Engagement, what are your top goals for patient advocacy within AvroBio this year and maybe even into next year because we're finishing up this year? Thanks. It's, it's so important that we start with the baseline, which is our relationships with the patient communities uh, that we work with and we serve. Our relationships with them is the most important goal that we have every year. And what that means is that a good collaborative relationship is not built overnight and we continue to develop it uh, as we have been forming them over the years. We value the opportunity to work with them as we move uh, these clinical trials forward. Avrobio is in a uh, stage where we're planning to have the majority of our clinical trials in the clinic next year, uh, enrolling patients from all over the world. So clinical trial awareness, education on lentiviral gene therapy. So all our programs are focused on uh, lentiviral gene therapy, uh, uses the PLATO technology, as we call it, at Avrobio. Um, and deepening the knowledge of what is really involved in participating in a lentiviral gene therapy trial is uh, paramount for the organization. So the patients feel empowered and they feel like informed decision makers. Uh, this is, uh, we recognize that this is a, a monumental decision for patients. So we want them to know everything that is part of participating in a clinical trial. Uh, what's also uh, unique to Avrobio right now is that the next wave of programs that are we're going to be starting is we'll be evaluating gene therapy in new communities with a much younger patient population than our current clinical trial. So, so far uh, in our Fabre program and our Gaucher program, uh, as well as the cystinosis program, we have been uh, studying uh, and dosing uh, adult patients. And now Avrobio is moving to a much younger population with rare genetic conditions. And so the priorities for parents and patients is much different than adults. Um, so we've been uh, as patient advocates, what we have been committed to doing and have been doing for uh, the most of this year is listening to patients and families and caregivers to make sure that we develop the support and the education that they need in order to be able to consider gene therapy for their families. It's also uh, in clinical trial development is we want to make sure that we include the patient and caregiver perspective very early in the planning um, to make sure that we understand the unique experiences of, of these individuals and families so we can support them throughout their journey of participating in the clinical trial. 
Sure, sure. And I, I definitely want to dive more into how Avrobio supports clinical trial development uh, and, and recruitment for that matter um, in, in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what, what your idea of, say, the short term, the next couple of years, the next steps in patient advocacy overall, where, where do you see it evolving to in just the very short term? Great. So the, if I can say top priorities would definitely be um, designing and implementing clinical trials that keep the patients at center and for every decision that impacts the patients that they have a voice in, in, the, in the planning. And then recognizing that um, uh, participating in this lentiviral gene therapy trials is a monumental decision, and it's a significant commitment for patients and families. Um, so we recognize that um, that that's very um, time-consuming, and uh, it's a huge decision for families. So uh, we're going to be focused on improving and optimizing the patient experience in the clinical trial. Uh, that is one of our priorities, uh, as well as looking from within. Um, uh, the organization has a comprehensive effort uh, to incorporate the patient uh, voice into every function of the company, because we can't we can um, strive to be patient-centric and to, to have an extreme commitment to the patient community if we don't look at us from within and what each of us as Avrobians can do to contribute to this mission for patient education. So externally, there is the uh, helping patients and families understand the, the commitment that it is to participate in the clinical trial and uh, designing and implementing um, a, a patient-centric clinical trial. Our goal is also to help educate, motivate, and share the responsibility uh, with the community um, for long-term and safety and efficacy data. And so to do this, we know that we must partner uh, between patients and industry. What I mean by that is that the regulators require a follow-up for 14 years. That's a total of 15 years, but the clinical trials tend to last one year. Um, so uh, communicating effectively and sharing their responsibility with the patient communities of what this means is what a true partnership means. Yeah, sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, I want to go right into just how you support clinical trial development and recruitment, kind of what we talked about at the top of this. Um, in what ways are you supporting the patient as it applies to clinical trial development and recruitment? What does that look like, especially given the rare disease component of this? Of course, uh, the rare disease community sees no boundaries. They are connected from all over the world. Um, and COVID has just expedited and uh, that connection. Um, so it is, it is an era where uh, the rare disease community is it's connected all over the world. It's always surprising to me um, 
to uh, when I speak with uh, with people, whether they are an outside consultant or a new employee, uh, how much clinical trial awareness and recruitment is driven by the patient community. Um, we work with patient advocacy groups from all over the world to elevate their knowledge, to raise awareness, to create opportunities uh, from people from diverse communities from all over diverse geographies and backgrounds to learn about the potential opportunity to participate in our clinical trials. So we support them um, by uh, having the patient advocacy team being an integral part of the clinical program at AvroBio. Our, our role within the programs uh, is to conduct um, a patient advocacy landscape as early as possible. And the best time to start is when the company is thinking about going into a new uh, indication. So we seek to understand the specific setting in a specific countries, how many patients exist, what's the standard of care, what are the major treatment centers that exist. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, the patient advocacy team brings these insights to the company in order for us to plan the, the recruitment for the clinical trials. And the reason I bring this up is because we want to go where the patients are. Uh, it, the company um, often can, can start with where are manufacturers or uh, where is the best reimbursement opportunity for, for commercial. And those are very important uh, considerations to have. But these are rare diseases and the standard of care is different in every country, in every province. So in order to, for the company to be successful in enrolling for a clinical trial, we really need to understand the setting of the patient population in a specific geography. Um, connecting uh, with the patients and families at each of these geography uh, keep us uh, grounded and also helps us do what is right for the people who are living in this in these geographies with the rare conditions. So it's very important for us to understand um, uh, what the situation is in each in each country. Um, and um, in order. In, our, in talking about supporting for clinical trial, um, uh, in the era of, of digital, digital media, uh, we have been able to very successfully um, connect the world uh, by providing materials in, in the right language that, that are amenable to the right cultural needs and be able to have uh, limited but available uh, feeding the ground in the dif different geographies that are able to navigate each country's and, and each person's needs. Um, patient advocacy, when it's done well, it's... Uh, the company goes to the communities and it's it's not fair or it's not a good plan when you're just expecting the community to come to you. Um, everybody or a lot of people, most people in, in different parts of the world, they have access to whether it's internet or a phone. Uh, so digital ads are, are very um 
way, a successful way to reach people and make people aware of, of possibilities. Um, and then obviously follow local regulations and make education materials that are in tune with the needs of the customers who are living with the rare diseases. Sure, absolutely. And I, I want to unpack that a little bit more because I want to talk about how patient feedback enables you to do all of the things that you just said. And given the global nature of rare diseases, like you said, rare diseases, no, no geographical bounds. And so how does patient feedback affect what you're doing in clinical trial planning? So the team understands the value uh, and importance of obtaining the patient feedback and insights. And we constantly ask for feedback. It's not a one-time check the box. Uh, we have a philosophy of Bavrobio, uh, how we do patient engagement, which is, I speak about it all the time. It's early, it's uh, consistent, and it's um, substantive. Uh, we are going to get back from the community as much as we put in. Uh, so that feedback needs to be a constant communication. Uh, and the feedback is incorporated into clinical trial inclusion, exclusion criteria, the assessments that it's performed uh, or proposed for a clinical trial, the informed consent process, the patient reported outcomes that uh, patients fill out during the clinical trials, the clinical trial endpoints, and, and then uh, like I mentioned earlier, the ultimate, the patient experience. I will never forget, I was speaking with uh, Dr. Kim Stevens, uh, CEO of Project Alive, and uh, um, she speaks about her, how her son, Cole, has participated in a clinical trial for the last six years. And she says, for a parent of a child participating in the clinical trial, it starts at home. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts when the child wakes up and it starts, um, uh, that child is going to have to travel to the site for several hours. Mm -hmm. And the assessments that that child needs to do after being in the car for six hours, uh, that's going to affect the experience of the patient. So the the least we can do is really understand, really be able to map out that experience for the patient in order to give the highest chance of a uh, successful participation of, of the patients and families. And then also listening to that and being able to capture as much as we can in an environment where the patient or the family, the child is in a comfortable environment. Um, so... The patient feedback is um, there. Are, we we have a few rules that we do. Right, we want to learn as much of the disease um, as early as possible, even before we don't even have a protocoling draft or anything. We just really want to learn diverse aspects of the disease from patients and families, and then. Um, continue to bring in the patient voice as we make progress uh, in designing a, a study protocol um, to, to then bring it to a formal process where uh, patient advocacy leaders uh, will be able to um, 
are able to review in detail what the protocol is and every, every document or every decision that actually impacts the patient. This way, we understand that patient advocacy leader feedback is different than patients and families living with the disease. So then it's kind of a method that allows us to get the feedback and incorporate both of them. Um, I'll tell you, it's not perfect. It's still evolving. And um, we have found ways to measure it. I am sure that next year we're going to have goals to make sure that uh, that we're not only getting the feedback, but how much of it are we incorporating? And uh, which is really, you know, getting feedback, but doing nothing with it. It's, it serves us nothing, right? Uh, so how much of it is, in, is being incorporated and, and the reasons and the ones that the suggestions that we couldn't incorporate, why couldn't we incorporate? And share the responses with the community, with the investors, as well as with regulatory agencies. So, so regulatory agencies also have a good understanding on um, what are some things that are easily incorporated and what are some of the challenges that still exist in the way that we do patient-focused drug development? Sure, sure. Thank you for all of that. That was such a thoughtful response and uh, certainly will resonate with our listeners. As, and we talked specifically about uh, patient feedback. And I want to talk a little bit about the role of community, because you mentioned community uh, quite a bit there. And I want to go a little bit deeper on that. Explain the role of community education on the clinical development and clinical trial process. So perhaps from, you know, comprehensive commitment, in addition to the follow-up, the duration of the follow-up, what does that really look like from a community education perspective? This is everything. This is why advocacy exists. Um, If we put it in perspective, you and I are patients. We know how complex the healthcare system is. Mm -hmm. And when our needs are simple, but you and I could have way more complex needs tomorrow and become a caregiver for someone we love. Mm -hmm. And so what I wish for the communities we serve is the same that I wish for my own family. It's the possibility of good care and access to quality healthcare Knowing what patients' rights are is a shift from a passive to an active voice. And community education uh, is a key step to ensure that patients can become equal stakeholders in healthcare and drug development. Patients and patient advocates need to learn the science. They need to learn the drug development process, the regulatory and the reimbursement requirements in order to be this equal stakeholder that we want patients to be so much. But education is the bridge to being able to become this informed decision maker and driver in the next generation of therapies. Yeah, you're right. It's so true that, um, you know, often from a community education standpoint, from a patient or, you know, if you're a patient or a patient caregiver, 
from a global healthcare perspective, you just don't know what you don't know. And it's sometimes it can even be very difficult to determine where to even start. And so uh, patients and their caregivers have to go from, you know, ground zero to become having a master's class in knowing what their particular disease entails, uh, the regulatory landscape, the drug development and all of that. And so I firmly agree that you're right, a community education and uh, having equal stake is incredibly important to help these uh, folks with uh, rare diseases or any any issue uh, to you know, know what they're doing next. Um, I want to talk a little bit about AvroBio's recruitment strategies. When Talk us through how you're collaborating with advocacy organizations um, and what kind of digital presence is needed to reach those who are simply not involved in any sort of ag- advocacy organization, excuse me. Absolutely. Um, the internet has allowed us to connect with people from all over the world uh, with different cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds, unique experiences and perspectives, uh, and different needs and priorities. Uh, rare disease um, is connected globally. And the patient communities are connected globally. Information travels so fast. (laughs) And the patient advocacy groups are very collaborative uh, for the most part. They help each other out. Um, It's, um, we don't see it as product. It's always product agnostic. Uh, The community of everybody is everybody working towards a cure or working towards a better treatment for patients. And that doesn't matter where you're from or or uh, where you work, etc. So we keep an open channel of communication with patient advocacy groups. They know which stage of the process we're in in clinical trial recruitment. And that's so important because they know our next step. They know uh, when we're going to be opening the next trial and when we're going to be opening the next site. And we communicate uh, if there are any delays because in clinical trials, there are always delays. Um, And so, for example, um, uh, we, we make them aware on We are writing the protocol at this point. We are seeking feedback from patients and thought leaders. Uh, We're meeting with the regulatory agency next month. And so they know where we are. And then we begin to raise awareness for the clinical trial. And that it's it's education because uh, just talking about there is a clinical trial enrolling for Faber disease, that is an ad. But talking about why, why there needs to be another clinical trial and what's expected in this clinical trial, what is the endpoint that is going to be measuring in this clinical trial and why, why did the company select? So there is a, the reason I talk about this is because it's a partnership and it's an open dialogue. It's not just an advertisement. Um, So all the communities uh, that we work with, the patient advocacy groups, they are unique and they serve their communities in different ways. So we flex to the best approach for each of the organization. Uh, 
some of them are very successful doing email newsletters. And so we may do um, a half a page education and what is involved in a clinical trial, inclusion, 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 exclusion criteria through a newsletter. Some of them do several virtual meetings, educational meetings throughout the year. So we may do a short presentation, uh, uh, reactive a short presentation at those meetings. Some of them do a large virtual conference and then we'll be able to talk about everything in the clinical trial in there. Uh, some of them, most of them have a pretty robust social media presence in, in Facebook, for instance, uh, or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, short videos on YouTube and TikTok are becoming um, pretty common in patient advocacy groups now. And you mentioned how not everybody wants to be part of a patient advocacy group, uh, but we want to serve the community as a whole and not one particular patient advocacy group or another or only if you participate. So there are ways of putting information out there. Um, if you just Google example, uh, cystinosis, photophobia, then uh, the clinical trial that is recruiting uh, can become available on the internet just by symptoms or keywords. And that doesn't need to be for someone who is working, who is participating or who's active in a patient advocacy group. Uh, there are a lot of ads, as I mentioned to you. Uh, if people write symptoms or if they're looking for a physician or if they Google gene therapy, uh, cystinosis or Hunter syndrome, then an ad may pop up with more information about what is involved. And um, I feel like that gives us a good opportunity to, to reach very deep in the community. Also rural areas, right? If we just think about the United States, even in the United States, uh, the environment, uh, the setting for someone in a rural area is much different than in an urban area. Uh, so that has allowed us to, to help individuals find information easily on the web. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of our formal episode. Uh, so, Fernanda, thank you so much for all the extremely important information you've shared throughout. Uh, this has been exceptionally insightful. Um, but before we go, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guests the same question to help listeners understand who they are outside of their uh, their passion and their in their work. Um, and that is, describe for us your ideal Saturday. I love that question. Um, so I must tell you that advocacy is an around-the-clock job. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, most patient conferences take place over the weekend. So when, when we're not raising awareness for a cause or learning a way to support the opportunity, I really just like to wake up and um, do everything my dog wants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I have a, a, a small 10-year-old uh, West Highlander White Terrier, and uh, uh, it includes take him, taking him to the beach or for a hike. Um, it may include a yoga class and uh, maybe some cooking and time with friends. Um, so that's how I tend to recharge the batteries over the weekend. Um, well, it's my happy place. Well, that sounds wonderful. And all of your <laughs> 
all of the patients and their families and their caregivers that you work with certainly appreciate that. Uh, and I think any dog lover of Cell and Gene will be very happy to hear and <laughs> very much understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. Well, I accommodate. Yes, yes. Uh, well, that's it for me, Erin Harris. And thanks again to Avro Bios Fernanda Copeland for her exceptionally thoughtful and informative time with us today. Um, thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.